0: You are listening to the Gay Florida Man Podcast. This
1: podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and
0: entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties.
1: Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This is episode 49. Now, if you don't already do so, I'm gonna tell you once again, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and we are now on TikTok. We have been very active in starting to create some TikTok videos that are very much associated with this podcast. When I applied to be a police officer in the mid-1990s, I was up against hundreds and sometimes thousands of other applicants where departments could pick and choose the cream of the crop to fill their agency's vacancies. Even though minimum requirements only required a high school diploma, many departments were able to hire college graduates because the extensive pool of applicants with bachelor's degrees. Times have changed and now departments are struggling to find anyone to do the job of law enforcement. Higher salaries, cash bonuses, increased incentives, and even lowering the requirements have failed to entice people into a once highly sought after line of work. What happened? Today, we are talking about recruitment and retention, the struggle for law enforcement. So joining us is an officer that I worked with at the state prison, and he went on to do bigger and better things. And that would be Officer Wes. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You and I worked at UNA5 receiving an orientation together, and you were a lot of fun to work with and very easy, uh, mellow. You didn't stir the pot with the inmates. You did the job, but I guess corrections kind of isn't where you wanted to end up.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we worked in UNA5. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I think we were there six or seven months before you went on to, uh, I think you had a temp or
1: something after that.
0: I just, uh, I enjoyed my time in the prison, but I definitely uh, liked being outdoors
1: more. And so being stuck inside wasn't my thing. Okay. And you went on to become a police officer after your time yes, as a corrections did. officer. Okay. What was that like? What was it like to walk the halls of the prison and then now you're on the beat out on the street? It was a huge change. Uh, you know, the the hardest thing is
0: the unknown on the outside. In the prison, you're walking the halls there and you, you kind of know who, who is who and And on the outside, you don't know that. You don't know, you know, who wants to do what to you and and to the rest of the citizens, you know, in the public. So it was definitely a different experience.
1: And how long were you uh, working for the police department? Um, I did uh,
0: three years in one agency and I did uh, seven in another agency. I did 11 years altogether.
1: Okay. And now what finally was like kind of the thing that said, you know, I I don't want to do this anymore. What was the final straw where you're like, "Um, this is not a career for me? Politics was the biggest thing for me. The politics within the agencies and then,
0: then the the you know the state government and the uh, federal government just kind of pushes people out. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course you know money is always an issue. But but the way that law enforcement's treated anymore, it just it was hard to want to stay in and and put that on my family.
1: It's a national thing. As we started to talk about doing this podcast, we've seen you and I have both seen that nationally there is this epidemic where departments are losing so many staff and they cannot recruit and the the question is is why is this happening and i know that of course it's not popular when i first started looking to get into law enforcement this would have been the early 90s and you Uh would be on wait lists or they were just if you didn't have a bachelor's degree they the standards were so high they had so many people applying and it was very competitive and now here we are to 2023 And they cannot get people to apply. And they're actually having to lower the standards. They've started offering cash bonuses for people to come and work for the department. And it's still not working.
0: Yeah. Even when I started applying, you know, 12 years ago, it was very competitive. I remember applying for little tiny agencies that one position open, and you're applying against 30, 40 people. Mm -hmm. I applied with Las Vegas Metro and you applied against five or 6,000 people, you know, and And now you're lucky. I know in the agency I worked in, we were lucky to get five or six people to apply.
1: Wow. It's, it's
0: it's a sad thing. I, I think that, you know, you know, it starts with offering more money, of course, but that's not, that's not the, the solve, you know, all problems with law enforcement.
1: Do you think that politics and the administration and how you're treated and the other officers are treated would say that would be the number one issue as to what drove you out?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they tend to take the side of, well, I don't know if you want to say news media or or just society in general over you as an officer. And, uh, it's not fair and it's not right. You know, you're, you go and you do your job, right. And if it causes a, a little bit of a scene for the agency, they don't like that. And they find a reason to get you in trouble.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sure that the higher up the administration, the more they're concerned about the public interpretation of what's happening. And right. they're they're not gonna put their neck out for you or any other officer. Nope. No, they'll <laughs> take the, the citizen side basically over yours
0: just, just to save face.
1: That's crazy. Um, you know, there's also this new thing, of course, which I think is kind of interesting, and and I'm for it, and I'd like to get your perspective, but you know, body cameras are yes. now becoming a huge thing, and every time there's an incident with somebody of course the first thing they talk about is the body camera where's the body camera when are you going to release the body camera footage i look back and you know i was a police officer i don't know if you know this was but i was a police officer in 96 and that's why i moved to utah and back then it was like you go before the judge and if the officer says that's what happened that's what happened right and now we're in a situation where the body cameras showing what has happened and maybe it's not even the best interpretation of the scene because you cannot even though it it covers video of what is happening it still doesn't give you the full story but it is definitely it can make an officer look really bad
0: absolutely and And i think the body cams are a great thing Uh, they've saved mm -hmm. me in a lot of situations but it's a double-edged sword because like you said you can't see everything you don't know what the officer's thinking you don't Mm -hmm. know he can he can see basically all the way around him the body cam is only pointing once in front Right. So you only see in and hearing parts of what's going
1: on. Sure. I think that for people, maybe that law enforcement is not the best field for them. You know, a body camera can, uh, can really burn an officer. But, you know, and you and I probably both worked with people and we both thought the same thing. Is this the right guy to work in law enforcement? Because you have <laughs> to have such a high level of integrity. And, and I know I worked with some really shitty people. I hope i'm not in a situation where this guy thinks that i'm going to lie because i'm not going yeah. to do it
0: when i left i was a supervisor was sergeant um, mm-hmm. it helped me a lot when there was citizen complaints be able to review a body cam and see that that person was probably lying about the officer or vice versa maybe the officer did do something wrong but i think where the problem comes is when admin watch a body cam and they don't ever talk to the officer and get their side as well and they just go straight off of what that what they see and what they hear and courts are doing the same thing. You know, I I know that the courts would, if you didn't have body cam or dash cam footage, they were basically dropping the case.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So it's like,
0: I always ask them, like, why do you want me to come testify then? There's no point in me testifying because you just got my body cam and not what I have to say anyways. So it causes some problems.
1: Have you ever had to deal with in the places that you worked outside of the prison, these guys that are doing auditing? on their use, their freedom to record in public spaces. Have you seen these videos, Wes?
0: I have seen them, but no, I did not deal with them.
1: Okay. Because I've seen several that were recorded in Utah, and there's some good and there's some bad, and there's some officers that handle it like absolute pros, but then there's also officers that have a really big ego, and they think they're in charge, and when a person starts to question them, They go zero to 60 really fast.
0: Yeah. You know, I worked in small agencies and so I didn't, we didn't really deal with a ton of that. You know, we had the freeway run through where I worked and and once in a while we get some, most people aren't in but Mm -hmm. because I worked for a sheriff's office, a lot of them respect the sheriff's
1: office more than they do other agencies. And so we really didn't deal with a lot of that. What are your thoughts? I mean, I know that there's several that they go right to the post office, and I guess based on the post office policy, it is a public building, and they can record, but a lot of the postal employees have not been briefed about this being a public space, and they have a poster that's mounted in every post office lobby that says that people can record. It's, It's open to the public, and of course, it's a public building. Police officers are constantly called by the post office employees saying this guy's in the lobby. He can't film here. And then the auditor points to this poster and says, no, clearly you can see. And then for those agencies that push it and then trespass them and then arrest them. And then it turns into civil litigation once the case is dropped in court and it's all on video.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, officers need very careful Uh, in in a lot of these situations, even, even just in a broader spectrum, as far as any civil type matters, Mm -hmm. you show up there and you try to push your authority on a civil matter, which that would be considered civil. It says you can film there. It says you can be there. I, that's a civil matter between you and the post office, Mm -hmm. you know, law enforcement shows up and tries to push their authority on that. That just causes a lot of problems, you know, not only for that officer, but that agency and law enforcement in general puts a black eye on them. You
1: lose public trust absolutely you know when they start saying well we had to reach a settlement because they were correct they're allowed to film there we arrested them took them to jail so we have to pay them you know ten fifteen thousand dollars the public hates that yep, <laughs> yep. Frowned, frowned upon. <laughs> you know and yes. it's it's sad because I see some of the videos and you can tell it's just contempt of cop where these right. auditors know how to push these guys buttons and I'm like don't fall into the trap don't fall into the trap And they can't just walk away or they have to say something nasty. And these auditors, a lot of them don't have a whole lot of tact. They're trying to antagonize. And I think it's an interesting thing. And I hope at some point police academies start to train people, officers, how to deal with these personality types and say, look, they're trying to get you, so don't fall into that trap, you know, just walk away. They're angry or they're antagonizing or they just want a paycheck your bigger problem there is you can teach in an academy, but if you can't hire
0: decent people or get decent people in the academies, mm-hmm. that's not going to help. Cause they just, they don't have that personality to be able to handle that no matter how much training they go through.
1: Uh, see, and that's the other thing that again, <laughs> nationwide these agencies as they're starting to struggle to get people to come in and apply, they're starting to lower the standards. Yep.
0: And that's not good. It's not. No, it's, you know, the, there's these self, these academies where you can put yourself through, and, and sadly, I think you get 20, 30 guys put themselves through, and you might get one or two that are okay. You don't find very many good people anymore. I, I did a lot of the hiring board and stuff when
1: before I left, and it was it was a struggle. A big struggle. <laughs> do you have he, any? Do you have any examples of what we're talking about here when you're doing these interviews? Anybody that stands out? That you, of course you can't name them, but and right. not that I would want you to. But as far as just an example of the outrageousness of that, these people think that they would be a good selection for law enforcement.
0: Well, there's one guy that stands out that uh, I, <laughs> I'm already laughing. I haven't even heard the
1: story, and I love it.
0: Uh, well, he uh when he applied, he actually came late. He had a call, um, lesson was he late. And he showed up late and when he interviewed, I was like, gosh, this is the guy. Like, this guy is awesome. The interview's great. Why has no one picked him up? He's graduated from the academy, He put himself through whatever. Come to find out he uh, he likes animals a lot.
1: Oh, I like animals. And
0: uh in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more and he admits to this stuff like the thing that is, it is would never come background because he's never been charged with it but he likes to basically diddle animals oh and yeah so he's got some animals and he yeah he enjoys that i guess and uh, how how, and how was, did that was he was he actually testing for animal control <laughs> no like i he, he actually tests for that agency and he told them this in, Oh, I think he told them the lie detector test is where he told them, Uh Oh, and then, and then of course they have to put that out. Now every agency knows, you know, but I'm just like, really? And that same testing pool, we had another guy that admitted to, you know, years prior doing stuff with his little sister. So that's the type of, you know, it's like, you really have to be careful who you hire because neither one of them were charged with anything. And so it would not have shown up if they would have been a good liar and got through the lie detector test, right? So you've really got to look into these people and figure out what's going on. And and you can't just hire off of, you know, what they tell you in the interview.
1: That's scary. And I, I hope that they're diligent and I hope that people aren't overlooking anything in the hiring process just to fulfill the department's needs of staffing.
0: Well, right. And then the other issue you run into is just because the interview board says this is who we pick doesn't mean administration is going to pick them. And so then lucky for me, I was also the field training officer. And so, so then (laughs) I get these guys and I'm going, yeah, this person's not going to work out. And I wrote them pretty hard until, you know, I document everything. and would just take it to the admin. Like, this isn't going to work. You know, I'm not willing to put somebody out there that's not going to do a good job and it's going to, you know, put a black eye on the community. And so it was, it was good. I enjoyed that
1: what was the biggest concern with somebody that you felt like was not a good candidate to be uh, an officer? Like what would be the things that you would look for to see if they were going to be a long-term good officer or there was too much risk involved?
0: Well, the first thing I was looking for when they got came to me as a training officer is, is are they going to ask questions? These guys already know it all or are just going to sit there and not ask a thing. They're not for us. Get out. And I look for, for temperament, you know, are they, are they going to be able to handle a situation? Cause everyone you show up, you're the bad guy, no matter what, whether the person mm-hmm. loves law enforcement in the moment they're heated, they've got a problem. You're the bad guy and you're there to solve it. And so if you don't have the right temperament for it, then then you're not you're not going to do the job. But for me, a big thing that I saw a lot was guys not understanding people's rights their constitutional rights and they would violate those and and Ooh. you know you know I had a had a document quite a few times some guys that did that and it just I don't understand getting into a job where you don't know that type of stuff
1: is it just the mentality was like now that I I've gone through the police academy I wear this badge I'm in charge I don't care yeah. who the fuck you are you're going to you're going to do exactly as I say I say jump you say how high absolutely yep yeah, you get a lot of them who
0: push that boundaries of you know they pull you over and then can I search your car and you say no, and they got a reason to. They keep pushing it until next thing you know they're searching and that violates your rights. You can't do that. That drives me crazy.
1: So you worked for the Department of Corrections for Utah, and I look back at the history and I see this epidemic now, and they cannot recruit and retain staff, and it's not something that happened overnight. It's not a new issue and the the department has struggled with this for years and they've tried to address it in different ways i don't know if it's just because most administrations are not in the long term sort of not thir- thinking in terms of long-term answers now what years did you work for the utah department of corrections so it started in
0: 2011 uh, i think i left in
1: 14. okay so as i look back you know that I became very active with the union in Utah because, again, the politics and the administration and coming after me because of my YouTube videos. Um, <laughs> and I was, the, I, recall. <laughs> I was the black sheep of the department there for a minute, according to the administration. But as ah. you look at this current problem, I'm going to go down kind of a list of the things that I remember where you start to go down this. Well, I shouldn't say irreversible because they can change it, but I don't think that they will. I believe it was 2008. Now, up until 2008, they had this amazing benefit that's really going to help people with their retirement. At that time, they had sick leave as one bank of hours and then annual leave. So you had two Mm -hmm. separate banks. It wasn't paid time off, PTO. The sick leave, if you didn't use it, If you minimized your use of sick leave only to when you're really sick, when you retire for every eight hours of sick leave, you would get a month of health insurance when you retired. That is a huge incentive as you get closer to that time period. Well, they they eliminated that and then they gave you they said, well, we're going to eliminate that. We can't. It's not fiscally responsible to, to be able to, to do that because the cost of healthcare that's going up. So what we will do is we will give you like a MasterCard or a Visa card that's prorated. So a certain percentage mm-hmm. of those hours will go on this Visa card. So when you retire, you can use it towards anything medical, whether it be prescriptions, doctor visits, surgeries, etc. Deductibles. Well, in 2012, they went ahead and eliminated that. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is now there's no incentive to keep your sick leave. It's use or lose. And so at that point, you're telling people, save it up, save it up, because you might need a surgery. You just don't know. But in the end, most staff are, you know, I don't feel well today. You know, <laughs> I have blue right. flu, whatever. I'm I'm gonna call in. I don't feel good. I have a headache. I I have a hangnail, I stub my toe, whatever. So I'm gonna call in sick. And that was a huge mistake. And we saw the use of sick leave skyrocket. I'm sure if you talk to somebody in scheduling, They probably hated the legislature for doing that. Yep. One of the things that they had done, and this was a huge incentive for people that worked in the department. If you got into a housing unit or a position, whether it be a tower or corridor or rover, whatever your preference is, and you get into a particular post and you work with a bunch of officers that you love and you love the supervisors, you love the lieutenant, you could do 10, 15, 20 years in that post. And it reduces your stress and you actually don't have a problem going to work. You enjoy the job. Well, we had an administration that came in and said, nope, that's done. You will rotate every three years. And so you had all these people that had worked there for years and years and years, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and they were in a post and they were doing a great job. Now they're being told, well, you've got to move. you got to find a new home. And the whole motivation. I remember when they changed that. The whole idea is we don't want officers to become complacent. But you had so many seasoned guys that were never going to get compromised that knew the inmates, knew their population, knew the job. And now you're telling them they got to move. And unfortunately, a lot of people that were past that age of retirement, they said, if you do this, I'm going to leave. And the arrogance of the administration said, Well, then fucking leave. And they did. You -hmm. had this mass exodus. And that is a was a huge issue and again the union saying don't do this don't do this and they didn't listen you know of course they eliminated the uh the incentive because at one time if you went to transportation or if you went to the swat team you got i think it was two steps in pay okay yep obviously it was a kind of an exclusive thing if you can get on with transportation you get two more steps they have like their own fto program for transportation the swat team of course you do all this awesome training out of state i believe that was the patterson administration and i guess they had an agreement with the carver administration that here's this contract and you'll always have this two-step increase and patterson said well i'm not carver whatever i'm eliminating it that turned into litigation i don't think it uh it ended up going anywhere because it was just too costly for those officers to take on the state of Utah. So it was eliminated again, you're taking away incentives and benefits from different staff. And it's now we're going down this road where here we are again, it's because of all these past steps that they've taken. Probably the biggest thing that happened for officers and this is statewide in Utah is changing the retirement. That just devastated. I hear that they're trying to go back to what they had, but again, Fraternal Order of Police was telling them, please don't do this. You know, it's not going to have good consequences. And, um, yep. and so they changed it. And from when I got hired, and I don't know what retirement plan you were under, Wes, but for me, because I got hired in 97, and it was 20 years at 50%. So you take the average of your three top three years, 50% of that pay, you could retire at 20 years of service. Literally, if you got hired at 21, you could retire at 41, and you'll get, you know, a monthly check that's equal to, you know, 50% average of your top three years. Not the greatest retirement, but it's huge incentive. You can go on and start a second career and have your mortgage car, whatever paid for.
0: I made that by about a month.
1: Oh my God. That's a blessing. <laughs> so I was
0: in that 20 year.
1: Yeah. So at some point, once you do pull the plug and stop working, you'll be able to draw something, correct? Something. Yes. absolutely. Okay. But now, correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the current retirement now is 25 years minimum service. I think it's 37.5%. Is that correct? They upped that back to
0: 50.
1: 50% at 25 years. Yeah. Yep. So they have started to correct it. When did they correct it? Do you know?
0: Oh, it's been probably two, maybe three years ago that they fixed that.
1: Okay. Well, after the time I left. But you still yeah. have to do 25 years. Yep. For now. And and that's the thing is, is if you look at that job and the level of stress and the um, what's happening with our population with, you know, every time you pull somebody over, they stick a phone in your face and say, I'm recording you. I know my fucking rights and, you know, <clears throat> prove it. I wasn't going that speed. Prove it. Prove it. And it's become a lot, a much more of aggressive conversations with just average speeders on the road. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Uh...
0: Oh. I personally think it should be a 10-year retirement just just because that level of stress and the stuff it puts on you. You know, just for me, I drive around the community where I work with my new job, and uh, I go through certain areas, and that, I don't know if you want to say PTSD or whatever, kicks in, and your heart rate goes up, and you're like, what's going on? Then you realize you're in that area where something happened you dealt with.
1: You get triggered based on your experience. Uh, Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. So,
0: 20 Um, years is a long time.
1: You know, Wes, when I worked at the prison, the first 12 years was fantastic, but like you said, the politics of the administration, you know, I had done the recruitment video for them. A particular captain had gone to the administration and said, hey, let's do a recruitment video because even back then, they were, I think it was 2008, they were having trouble recruiting at that point. And the only thing that helped was the recession, the job market, you know, slowed down and the department was able to hire up and they had very little overtime. And that was the yeah. first time since I'd started working where you were trying to call scheduling, begging for overtime. But it, yeah, was, it was a recession.
0: Because I, I remember when I applied, there was there was still a lot of people that applied. You know, in 2011, when I, when I went through the academy, I, I tested with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it was right after that, that it really tanked off trying to get people to apply. Is it because, like you said, the recession was over and jobs were paying better, and there was more jobs out there,
1: Yeah. And then you had a lot of people starting to leave the prison and say, "Hey, you know, I can make a lot more in the private sector. right. Going back to my list, one of the things that um, they started to do, and I think that this was the Cook administration, the elimination of certifying medical and maintenance as correctional officers, because yes. in order to recruit for those positions, When you have somebody that's in maintenance as a plumber, and then the amount of pay that they were willing to pay for plumbers, electricians, these specialized trades at the prison could not compete with the private sector. It's like, well, what if we certify them as officers and bring them in and they will make less money, but then they'll have that 20 year retirement and benefits as an officer, the high risk retirement. So that really helped for a long time. And of course, medical nursing, the prison paid lower for medical staff. And Mm -hmm. if you certify them, of course, that's going to help as well as responding to incidents. If your nurse or um, maintenance are certified, then they can, of course, jump in just because they're certified. They can can help out with anything. That was eliminated. And again, I believe that was Cook that said, no, that's done. So now you're going to have issues (laughs) recruiting again for medical and the specialized trades right yep (laughs) so (laughs) and all these things the union or unions because there was two in utah that i remember the whole time they're begging them please don't do this and right administrations a lot of times they do not listen big Um, thing it's really sad then we have this new thing where Again, this was definitely a Cook thing, because I know firsthand from people that were involved with direct conversation with him, is the elimination of the SWAT team, because they're going to go to a CERT team. Were you there for that? I was not. You had already gone by this point. No,
0: but uh, my father did 20 years of the prison and retired about... Four years ago so i he kept me informed on a lot of stuff going on
1: (laughs) okay and what was was his thoughts on the elimination of the the swat team which had been in place forever right he didn't like it
0: um you know the swat team sometimes had a big head but it was nice to bring them in and then just have them handle it because to bring in guys from around the prison sometimes you know like we talked about some of the shitty guys we worked with mm -hmm. did you want them on the stick with you
1: yeah The union tried to appeal to the administration saying, look, a cert team's great for a jail. But really, we're a prison, a full-time SWAT team. And all those guys do is lift weights and train and train and train. Host situations, riots, uh, everything that happens in a prison. These guys, all they do is train. And I think at one point, they would go to like a SWAT school. And I think it was either California or Colorado. But these guys yeah. train and train and train. And yeah, like you'd said, a lot of them are very arrogant and maybe wouldn't talk to you when they came in. And there's that separation between line officers and the SWAT team. The yeah. longer that you're there, you know, they become friendlier for the most part. But the director said, you know, this is where we're going, this is what we're gonna do. And they tried for years. Now I have heard, Wes, that they've gone back to a SWAT team. Do you know if that's true?
0: They have, because we had an incident where I worked, a manhunt with a shooting and stuff,
1: and they sent their SWAT team to assist us. So it's still called CERT, but it's a SWAT team. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) once once that particular director was gone, they went back, because they had tried for so long, like saying, it's going to work, and it's going to work, and if you said that this will not work, well, you're the enemy. The administration says, well, you know, you're not on board with this, you're either with us, you're against us very uh, Neanderthal thinking with not open to ideas, the open door policy, let's discuss this. No, this is the way we're moving. And this particular director, I have heard, would get very heated if you were to go against him. Again, it finally corrected itself. The the pendulum swung the other way. Now they're back to a full-time SWAT team, which is the way it should have been. We now have this situation where we have direct supervision. And that yeah. seems to be the future of corrections. That's what yeah. the whole argument is. And they've built this new prison. And I know you're aware of this. It's been open less than a year. They've designed it under the concept of direct supervision, where an officer is in the section with the inmates. And I'm yes. sure it's modified for maximum security, where the inmates are not loose. They're behind doors, but you're still in the section. I have not worked the new prison. I've been <clears> gone from the state of Utah for six years, so I'm not exactly sure. But I know that they built this new prison, and it's a linear design. Did you know this? I didn't. Okay, so you have like these long, sec- well, th- this long open room, and then the sections on, or the cells are on the side, like little miniature sections. And I think it's two stories high. And then they have also, one thing I forgot to mention about the things, the mistakes they've made, is they're now hiring civilians for the control rooms, which I never experienced. And you can be 18 and work in in the control rooms. It's no longer 21 and up. There's questions there of whether that's the right thing. If you look at psychology and the male human brain is not fully developed till 25 years of age. Right. And so now you have somebody that's 18 in a control room. I don't know if they're allowed to bring in their cell phones or what other distractions they might have. The whole concept of direct supervision. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you worked you one five. What are what other areas did you work in Utah besides R and O? Oh, I
0: started on my FTO in Baker Block.
1: Mm, okay, that's a linear design. It is.
0: Yep. Yeah. That was a that was a fun, interesting block to work to to learn on. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I uh, my first post was corridor in Wasatch, and so that's not I a bad did that. Post. No, I loved it. Though I started out doing the uh, two days a week in in the control two and two days a week in corridor itself, and then one one day a week in oh what was that uh, little control room down by the the gym and the chapel called? I can't remember. Going off to the Oakers. I can't remember what it's called. But anyways, you worked one day a week in there. And then when the full-time corridor officer left, I believe she got a sergeant position. I took her position as just the
1: corridor itself. So That's before you went to Unit 5. That was your first position?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was my first position. Um, and then I did that for just over a year, I believe. And then I went to Dog Block for a short time before I came to Unit 5.
1: Again, that's the linear design where it's all 90-degree yep. angles. And I understand talking to people that were involved with the new prison that the linear design it's cheaper because you don't have to have 45 degree angles and this sort of thing like a, a hexagon or octagon shaped okay. section and then mm-hmm. it's also faster to build oh, okay and so if you look at those two issues that's where i have a lot of questions for certain people is did they go with a linear design because they could build a new prison faster to develop draper and it was cost effective that wouldn't shock me honestly and the sad thing is is they have this epidemic with staff assaults right now yes and as we look back at the list of things that they've done over the years and then now they're shocked to say well we don't know how this is happening Well, and they keep saying, well, it's understaffed and it's understaffed. You guys made decisions and that's why you're understaffed.
0: 100%, yep.
1: Or the people before you in those elected positions made those decisions or people that were appointed as directors and their administrations made these decisions. So don't sit here and say, we don't know how we got to this point because they do know how they got to it or they need to start asking more questions to the people that were there. Yes.
0: And on your question, in order to answer a question on the direct supervision, I don't I don't agree with direct supervision. I think it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think officers need that space to be able to go into to kind of take a deep breath and let your guard down for a minute before you go back out and
1: continue. And I've heard again, this is just rumor, but I heard that certain people were saying like, Look, direct supervision we don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. It's like, well, that's the future of corrections. And so, you know, you're either again with us or against us. And so that's where we're moving. And it's like, well, you're not going to be moving there. If you can't get anybody to work in the the prison, I'd heard a statistic the other day from talking to uh, somebody that's retired. And they're telling me that 75% of the prison has a year or less worth of experience. That does not shock me at all.
0: I don't know if you know this, they wanted uh, retired or law enforcement that's worked at the prison to come back and be part-time. They're now hiring part-time people that no longer work in the prison to come in and work.
1: I heard that if you have left within the last five years or retired within the last five years, that the governor sent letters out. Is that correct Yes. Say? Yep. And you're being paid very well. I've also heard that and again this is rumor i don't know this to be true and i haven't verified it but lieutenants and above are at will employees now
0: i have not heard that
1: you're best not to speak out that one shot
0: me that they did that to keep people talking
1: again that's just rumor i'd like to verify that to see if that's true but the also the average now is no longer three years it's five years i've heard that as well yep the five-year average of your retirement so you have to stay for five at that yeah that five now. Oh, yeah wow
0: i'm not in it anymore but that's what i keep hearing too is they've changed it to five if somebody did were... change it though so you can do if you leave i believe it's two years now before your certs actually expire so for right. me i've got one more year before my certs actually expire before i believe it was a year Do you remember right after you
1: retired you had a year pro- before your certs expired I promise you, Wes, that something I'll never look at. <laughs> I'm so done. I'm so done. Well, that's where I'm at, but yeah. Sure. Are you debating whether to go back and, and finish out? Is that something that you would consider?
0: I don't know that I'd ever go back to finish out. I do have agencies talk to me about coming part-time and, and some things like that, but I don't think I would ever go back and finish out.
1: Mm, the clock is ticking. It is ticking, <laughs> <laughs> and you're un- and you're under the old plan. So if you go back, you're still under the twenty year, right? I am. Yep. Yeah, I'd have nine years left. Oh, okay. That is a that's a little bit of a stint. Yeah, it's still nine a while. And- Since you've retired, tell me about your stress level, your personal life. What has changed? <laughs> Are you glad you left law enforcement in Utah? I don't know if i say I'm glad, you know, I, I have
0: um, real strong feelings towards law enforcement and there's a, there's a place for really good officers. Me leaving was a, a really, really hard emotional decision for me to do it. I had time to decide. I actually had shoulder surgery and I was out for about four or five months on leave while I was making that decision. And so I had time, but it still, it was really hard to to do going through all my law enforcement gear and stuff. That was hard. It was my life. It's what I loved. And and so I can't say that I'm glad I'm out, but uh, life in general has been a lot more uh, enjoyable now that I'm out. Uh, my stress level is way down compared to what it was. You know, like I said, I retired as a supervisor. And so I was in a small agency. You're basically on call 24 seven. And so mm. I didn't sleep well because I was worried I'd miss a phone call, you know, of something happening, you know, them, them calling me as a, you know, a supervisor to come in and, And so I just, those last year and a half or so, I just, I didn't sleep well. I was never home. And when I was home, I was hiding from the world. I didn't want anything to do with anybody because it was just, you didn't want to deal with anything. You know, you go to work and work 12 to 16 hour shifts and you're just done by the time you get home. And so it's been good for, for my kids and me to be able to spend all that time together and and, uh, not have that stress on me all the time. And, and, now law enforcement, you have an app on your phone, that constantly sending you what calls are popping in, whether you're oh, working
1: or not.
0: God. And so supervisor. some guys would turn it off when they're off duty, but the supervisor, I couldn't. Yeah. And so all day long, it wasn't matter if it was a traffic stop or whatever it was, if it was called out over the radio. It was popping up on my phone. And so I was constantly, I'd be on vacation and my phone would be dinging and I was checking this stuff and I'm like, this is not, this is not That's healthy. not
1: healthy. No. Have your so, have your children noticed a difference in you since you've left?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my, my, my kids have, my family has, you know, my, my dad compliments all the time. And I said, like I said, he did 20 years, but he comes all the time to the difference in my attitude and my mentality just in general. You don't realize what path it kind of takes you down, <laughs> you know, kind of a dark place you get in. And you know, like I said, I'd hide from the society when I go home from work. And what, what I do is I end up getting on the place our xbox and playing video games with other cops we'd sit home oh shit and play video games together and then we just talk cop talk while we're playing because if i went out to move my lawn my neighbor comes over and hey your buddy pulled me over or hey what about this or you know and you're
1: like i don't want to deal with it do you stay in contact with the officers do you still do the apps when you're not working i'm sorry not so the apps. app i can't the, the game that the app. game sorry sorry the game yes yeah you yeah, still
0: stay in contact and i and I'm still in the area where I le- where I retired from or left from. So I still am friends with a lot of them around here. We go to the gym together. And yeah.
1: Okay. Now, can you find like there a new go. network of friends that do weed control that you can get on and do some type of game? <laughs>
0: you know, I've not found that yet. <laughs> I have a few so that I talk to, but not gaming.
1: <laughs> so, so for people that are listening, and I don't know if we said this up to this point in the podcast, but uh, Wes has now owns his own company and he does, you know, yes. weed and um, lawn management. Is that safe to yeah. say, Wes? Okay, yeah, absolutely. And yep. and so you are your own boss now, and you have um, moved on, and you are uh, taking care of your family by your own business, which is pretty amazing. Yes, it's been amazing, amazing change. But at the same time, you're telling me that you're kind of on the fence and you're having thoughts about, well, nine more years, but if you were going to go back (laughs) part-time, how does that work with the retirement there in Utah as far as working? I mean, are you still feeding into retirement? Is it still time at a slower pace?
0: Yeah, it's a smaller percentage. I don't know what the percentage is. Okay. But, you know, I thought about just keeping that cert just to, just to have it, you know, you never know things can happen and you might need something, but then That's part hey. of me says, no, I'm never doing it. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. yeah.
1: But you, you know? know, do you think that a lot of the stress and a lot of the responsibility when you're talking about this app and notification on calls, maybe if you were returned to just being an officer and not being a supervisor, that the stress would be slightly reduced?
0: For sure, yeah. If I went back, yeah, I would never want to be a supervisor again. I just want to, do, I want to go out and do the job like I want to do my whole life. The whole reason I got law enforcement was to go out and, and do the right thing and not have to deal with the politics part of it.
1: You know, I'll tell you, here in Florida, I had originally applied for the prison when I first moved here, and I went and did a mm-hmm. tour of the reception center in Orlando. And I see, <laughs> I cannot tell you, it was unbelievable the amount of inmates in that facility. They're having cuffed inmates escorted by one officer through a yard with it. I felt like it was a couple hundred unrestrained inmates.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. And I said That's I'm not crazy. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. There's no, no. way this is this at, at any point, this is gonna be a news story or an international news story. <laughs> where they're going to have to be getting you know the officer's dna from underneath the fingernails of the inmates (laughs) if they turn on this guy because there's gonna be nothing left it's seriously dangerous Wow, it was crazy that's crazy i'm like do they do they think they have control of this they're like so what do you think do you want to come work for this and i'm like you can go take a flying leap through a fucking donut there's no way all right And I really have a lot of respect for Utah and the Department of Corrections, because even though there was times where I complained about the administration and stuff, that a lot of the people that were lieutenants, captains that had worked there their whole career, they really had professionalism and they did so much of a better job, in my opinion, than from what I saw, you know, and and I, again, a lot of respect to the people that work for the Florida Department of Corrections. Because yeah. they've got a very tough job and they don't have nearly the budget and they've got a ton of prisons in Florida, but they don't That's have, crazy. Utah's only still got the, the two. They've got the new one at the airport and then they got Gunnison and then they farm a lot of yep. inmates out to county jails. Yeah, a totally different world moving to to yeah. Florida. Fun, funny
0: story about a state inmate that farmed out to a county jail if you got time.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I was working one night on patrol and uh, dispatch gives me a call that uh, someone who had pulled off one of the off ramps in a neighboring county and an older gentleman and and some guy come up and knocked him out and took his truck. Oh, well, the truck had had GPS in it, you know, through (laughs) (laughs) OnStar. So they're tracking this truck and here it comes to my county and I get behind it and I get, you know, the other officer's in position to start trying to stop this car. And, you know, of course he runs and we chase him and we spike the tires. Whatever. He gets out of the truck and we take him into custody without any incident. But he's like covered in blood. I'm going, what in the world? This guy's been in a fight. Did this old man cut him? Like, what's the deal? And he's got cuts all over his body. Come to find out he had escaped from the county jail and he was a state inmate. Oh. And we didn't know this. And the county jail he escaped from, didn't know either. <laughs>
1: Oh, <laughs> and it, it
0: had been a couple hours. And yeah, anyways, it was uh SWAT came and picked him up and <laughs> took him to prison, that... after he got, but he climbed
1: through a barbed wire fence. You know, that's why he was all cut up. <laughs> <laughs> Who made the call to the jail? <laughs> My boss did. <laughs> hey, um, when was the last time you cleared count?
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 You probably to go check on your inmates. Yeah. <laughs> and he apparently had stolen a, a, uh, tow truck and then drove to the next county up and stole this old man's truck and came to our county next <laughs> wow
1: uh, you know i don't remember hearing that uh, on the news yeah it wasn't and the, and the state never
0: gave us kudos for catching the guy they just kept it under wraps
1: and that, we got
0: nothing for it
1: that's another issue. it was it
0: was on the news like it was on ksl but it was a small little blurb of you know the state MA escapes county jail and you know he was caught a short distance later like it was a very small article
1: <laughs> footnotes Basically. <laughs> yeah. See, and that's the concerning thing with this rash of assaults that's currently taking place, the new state prison there in yeah. Utah, how fast is it making right. the news? Because I see different feeds on it's Facebook, and, and that that's very troubling. And yeah, I probably I, see the
0: same feeds I do, so I think we're we're friends with a lot of the same people and stuff. And yeah, it's
1: that's not good. If you have situations like West Valley, Salt Lake City. And like within a couple hours, you're seeing like something that happened in the city. Yeah, that's that's immediately on the news. Clearly, they're putting out press releases. But if the Department of Corrections is yep. saying, "Oh, well, you know, we have to investigate this, and it's going to take you know two weeks,"
0: <laughs> There's, yeah. and they never I'm, put anything out.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and so there should be more questions from the legislature to the director of the prison saying, why is it taking so long for there to be transparency and what's taking place? And I know that you're short on staff and that's unfortunate, but you still work for the citizens of Utah and we still need to keep them in the loop. There's none of this shit where we're letting things slide or, well, you know, we're worried about the, the safety of our staff and, you know, we're worried about morale. Okay. I understand that, but we still need proper notification and press releases, so that everybody knows we're on board. Yeah. We have transparency under the governor's administration. Yeah, so, I agree. And that's concerning. <laughs> that's you I know. Have,
0: I, was, I have one other funny story about a stadium. Please, please real quick.
1: tell me. Tell me more. <laughs> I love it. We can we can
0: go <laughs> then, all day. <laughs> well, I also listened to your podcast, Lost or Joe, and there was a few of those instances you guys talked about. I was involved in, so we can talk about that Four for a minute too. After okay, please. <laughs> The, the first agency, when I left the, the prison that I worked at, um, I was fairly new there, and AP&P needed to serve a, a – well, they were going to do a, a no-knock basic search warrant for this felon that was living in these uh, apartments next to a school who was a sex offender. And he wouldn't come to the door. wouldn't come to the door. We're knocking, knocking. You know, Anyways, the AP&P officer kicks the door in, and we go in with our guns out. <laughs> and the guy sits up out of bed, and he's got no clothes on. He sits out of bed, and he looks at me and goes, Robinson, is that you? <laughs> and I worked, I worked, I worked with him on dog. Block. He wow, was on dog block when I was there, and I'd been gone maybe a year at this point, maybe maybe okay. eight months. Okay, <laughs> he got out right after I right left. There he is in my community, and that's the first words that came out of his
1: mouth. <laughs> that's well, okay. So did you have a good rapport with him? I mean, because when I worked oh, yeah. with you and you went to five, you were so easy to get along with. You were firm but fair. You knew exactly how to be an officer, Wes. I mean, you were seriously. Yeah, I, uh,
0: I had. A you were professional.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I can't think back
0: of any inmate that I had any major issues with. Um, I actually was going through uh, recently with some life changes that I think I've told you about. I was going mm-hmm. through a bunch of boxes and stuff I had, and uh, pulled out this paper, and I, I forgot all about it. Um, and, and probably looking back, I probably would have got in trouble to prison for even taking it home. But I remember when I got this paper, I was I was working Wasatch Corridor, and this inmate walked by and handed his paper. It was all folded up, and he said, "Hey, I just want to tell you thanks. Today I'm getting out, and I just wanted to thank you for you know how you treated us and whatever." And you know, he kind of got emotional, and you know, I said, "Well, good luck, whatever." And moved on. I stuffed the paper in my pocket and went back to work and then thinking of it and got home and realizes my pocket and I'll read it to you. It says, Robinson, I first want to tell you that you are a very respectful officer. I know that you have gained my respect for you. You always make me smile. Every time I see you, you actually treat us like actual human beings. Thank you. I'm terminating August 28th. I won't see you again unless I run into you on the streets, which that would be cool. And then he of course gives me his Facebook info, but I didn't, I've never looked him up, but I forgot all about it. You know, and here this has been what, 10 years later. And I pull it out of a box and it's like, Holy cow.
1: Brings back some memories. That's very, very cool. But again, that also shows that you're doing something right. That, you know, you are making a positive influence. And a lot of these people come, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir, Wes, because you know this stuff. These guys come from really dysfunctional backgrounds with, like, single-family households, drugs, and and alcohol. A lot of them don't even have a chance. Yeah. You know, unless they're really uniquely strong to their will and are able to overcome a lot of this stuff. I don't know if you heard the episode where I talked to that one former inmate.
0: Yeah, I was actually listening to it the other day. I didn't get all the way through it, but yeah, I was listening to it.
1: Yeah, that guy's really turned his life around and he's awesome. It's, you know, he's raising kids now and he looks back and he says, you know, look, I made mistakes and, you know, I'm going to do this podcast. If I can have some sort of positive impact and stop somebody from going down that road, or to turn their life around. He's, I want to do it.
0: He's the one that went to federal prison, right?
1: Yeah. As well. He did state yeah, time yeah, yeah, yeah. and then then he went to, to federal. So he was able to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, that was a pretty experience.
0: interesting episode that you did.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and I have to give credit to him. He's the one who carried that episode. It was his story. You know, I hope that people that do listen no to it really listen to to what he says that you can turn your life around. It's not over. You don't have to be part of the system. But it's, right. that's very cool with you, you know, reading that note that, you know, you did it right. You went in there, you were firm but fair. You know, you didn't judge them. You didn't go in there to stir shit and, you know, throw people's cells all apart. Just, you know, they're pieces of shit. Because, you know, working with those guys, and you know, because we talked about it, but when you work with those guys that are in it for the wrong reasons, it just makes our lives miserable. No, Absolutely. So yeah, and I've
0: heard in your other podcast and you got, know, you, you bring up a lot that, uh, you know, we're not in there to punish them. The state's already done that.
1: Yeah. We're, we're just, just there, there to manage. Sure
0: stay in there and that they're safe.
1: Yeah, exactly. Then, yeah.
0: That was my mindset going in and I, you know, I credit my father for that, you know, teaching me that cause he, like I said, he was at the prison already working when I was, went there. So That's it, awful. uh, it was a good insight and in how to do, how
1: to handle things. You know, you saw me working with the inmates and I tell you yes. some, I had some really fun times joking with the inmates and i learned a lot of great jokes from them in fact one particular inmate and you went a five had told me he said look you, you ever want to turn on your girlfriend and i said well tell me tell me he goes you get down there when you're going to go down and eat her out you know sneak in a nine volt battery and you put that right on her <laughs> clit and she'll squirt you like a grapefruit and it hasn't helped me personally in my life but, I'm sure. but But for a straight person
0: that like their val-
1: valentine's day is coming up and so if you want to do something nice for your wife your <laughs> spouse
0: that's funny
1: well i was trying to think
0: back to you and a five when and me you and the other officer um I, I believe he's out of law enforcement as well and i may reach out to him to get a hold of you but um i don't know if you remember the officer that was working with, that, with me and you but if you recall, just before you left to go to temp, they uh, the inmates actually lit the place on fire and flooded it.
1: We talked about that, Officer uh, Evans and I talk about that in one of the yeah. earliest podcast episodes. We talk about okay. the fire.
0: I wasn't. And he must have been in the actual control, and me and you were back in the offices, and and all of a sudden it was smoking, and we're like, "What in the
1: heck?" <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. books were
0: on fire, right? And they yes, and flooded yes. their cells.
1: Well, and yep. okay, so do you know the whole reason that that whole thing started?
0: No, I don't recall.
1: Okay, the, I'm gonna go down memory lane with you for this. Um, what okay. happened was, is we had level twos that were tiermen because the classification process and the number of level two beds down in UNA2 was limited. So guys were having to do extended yeah. periods of time in RNO. So to appease them, the day shift would let them be tiermen and you know serve trays and get more time out of cell to keep them calm our brilliant captain came in one day and said (laughs) fire all of the level two tier men so they went down there and they fired them all well now you have level twos which are a little higher risk in management now you just made them all super fucking mad because when I first responded down there with that fire, or when we first pulled him out, he goes, look, DeWolf, I'm sorry. I didn't want to do this, but your captain's a cunt. And so he yes. had to act out because he said, if I start this fire, you're going to move me to max. At least it gets me out of RNO. and then I can start to order other items off a commissary just besides hygiene and letter writing. Right. So it was manipulation, he, you know, and he didn't, give a sh- he was going to do like 40 years or something anyways. And then he's the same guy that ended up committing the murder over in the Oakers. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. He stomped that, uh, that other, that rival gang members head. Yeah, that's right. The person that started the fire down there in echo section, he had like pictures of his children on the wall. And I mean, like, yeah. His two kids could have been like modeling for Osh, gosh, for gosh. I mean, they were the cutest kids. And he had like this contagious smile. When I went to court for him, he had me laughing on the stand in West Jordan in the courthouse. (laughs) And they asked (laughs) me like, why why are you smiling so much? And I said, because I like him. I get along with him. This is nothing personal. Him and I would laugh all the time. But, you know, I, I know why he did it. And, you know, again, it's about situational awareness, know who you're working with, just be aware of what they're capable of. And if you connect the dots and it's like, I want to get to regular housing so I can order more stuff from commissary, it makes sense. And the only thing I had was like extra time to shower and walk around the block, maybe an extra tray. And the captain took that away from me. So, uh, okay, you know, game on, I'm done staying here in this building. It's time to go elsewhere. I'm gonna to have to. I'm gonna be locked down for a while. It's worth it in in the the, the longer run yeah. of things. And I'm gonna be in prison the rest of my life. You know, the gang thing is my life. Well, it's I have not, to
0: give it to you. You made that. You made you want to fight fun. <laughs> and enjoyable to be in i appreciate uh, that because that that could be a miserable block to work in and you know the sergeant that came in after you was great as well like you know nothing against to to him but uh-huh. uh you made it a lot of fun because that could be an awful awful building to work in just because of the setup you yeah. know so loud and there's so much going on and you know so but but the reason i gotta tell you there's there's two reasons i went doing the five uh okay. one is because uh my dad was on uh, i believe we were x squad was that right Yes, I, remember I think It's right. been a long time. Yeah. Yep. My dad was on X Squad. When I was in Daw Block, I was on O Squad. So we never saw each other. We were working opposite. So I needed to get to an X Squad and one that was open. But to go back to uh, your podcast with Officer Joe, one of my first runs in with you was <laughs> you, you talked about the, <laughs> the uh, older guy who died in Charlie Block in the shower while you were working overtime.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was in Corridor that night and I came <laughs> up and I watched the way you. I watched the way you handled that whole situation, and I thought he would be awesome to work for. So, you you yeah, watched me shoot in was, my pants. Basically, yeah. But no, <laughs> no, seriously, you, you did a good job, and, and I thought, you know, he'd be he'd be a good sergeant. Because, you know, in Corridor, I had amazing sergeants, and I didn't want to go anywhere else because I had some amazing people I worked with. It was a great, you know, great place, so. I was trying to find, you know, another, another spot that would fit better and, you know, work well going to five with you. So I got to
1: give you props for that. People dream of working with an officer like you, Wes, because, yeah. you know, you don't cause problems. You know exactly how to do the job. And it's like, I could call in sick. And if I know you're working, man, this is great. I got nothing to worry about. Things are going to run smooth. And, I you know, you just that. got, I, I... yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm also glad you got out of the prison and tried other avenues in, in law enforcement. I'm glad that you, you know, sure. you prospered. And you know, there's careers at the prison. There really is careers at the for prison. Sure. If you, if you have the right mindset, you know, again, it's also depriving the community of working with somebody as fantastic as you to have you. Oh, thank you. I always told
0: people said the perk
1: about the prison is that no matter what block you go on, it's like a whole new job. Yeah.
0: Because every yeah. block is around so differently, you know, and so you couldn't move around. Yeah. So, and, but, and, and lucky for me, in corridor, I worked with Officer Joe, so that's why that's why you had that <laughs> that podcast. And I was like, I remember that. Yeah,
1: well, that, <laughs> I remember when that
0: happened. You know,
1: I had so. I had evaded the whole thing of dealing with a suicide or death my entire career, other than coming yeah. on shift and somebody had died and the body was in the section, and and right. that was in Olympus. That whole thing in Charlie Block. I was there for four fucking hours well, and a I guy believe it. dies on me. <laughs> it was six to 10 <laughs> was my shift that night. And they had come to the control room and said, Hey, you better check on the dude in the shower. And I ran up there, pulled back the shower curtain. He was slumped up against the wall and his eyes were open and it was, you know, fixed and dilated. Yeah. And I knew I couldn't grab his legs and pull him out of the shower because his head would slap the back of his head would right. slap the concrete and this guy well was... he was
0: sitting funny if i remember right the way he would slump down in the shower he was sitting really funny
1: knowing what you know about me were you afraid as you heard the call out were you afraid that you were going to run up there we really can't leave Wolf <laughs> alone with a naked guy is there any concern there <laughs> no. but then you saw it was no normal. no like, oh, we're good we're good <laughs> no, I always heard the stories of the,
0: the masks that you wore. And I thought, is this, is this a real is this A, yeah. a team or is this a
1: a? <laughs> I remember I was in the, the Ochre Yard Shack and I did a call out on a guy that died in Ochre 5 Annex one time. I was the relay point after hours. And a lot yeah. of staff didn't believe that it was an authentic incident because that my voice was too calm. They thought, this has got to right. be training. And so they didn't run to the response, <laughs> which is really well, fucked I, up.
0: <laughs> working in corridor, I've got to respond to a lot of that stuff and they helped me a ton through the my oh, yeah. career at the prison and outside, because I responded on so many things, you know, we'd go to the okers for things. We'd go wherever it was needed. I remember going to, oh, where did we go? Olympus or something once too, it was, there had some bad going on over there. And so they sent one of us over.
1: So that's cool. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, it really was, it was a good experience. And and honestly, if if, if it would have worked out, I probably would have never left corridor. The problem was is the officer position wasn't the 12 hour post, it was eight hours.
1: The sergeant's oh, spot was yeah. 12.
0: Yeah. So I was working five eights and I'm like, this is horrible.
1: Again, this is another thing that different departments are doing now that are on the 12 hour shift is they're going back to an eight hour shift. And then that way they can mandatory officers for a double and make them work 16s. Oh, wow. That's how they're that's handling crazy. the shortage nationally. The shortage. So you're, you're gonna burn them out so much faster.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. What's I think that? 10 hours is, is a good number, but lie, I didn't mind 12.
1: Okay, if you were in charge, if you were working for the, the governor or in some position where you could make a major change, what would you do, Wes, based on your experience, as far as changes to recruitment and retention moving forward from this point for this national epidemic with law enforcement agencies, what would you tell them to do?
0: Well, I, I mean, I think they're making the right decision. I'm sure you've heard how many raises they've gotten. So the raises have been nice. I think that's going to mm-hmm. help, but I think you've got to, the way you treat officers and, and then the, the, the way you've talked about with the retirement. I mean, I, you know, I can't complain in my days there because I had great sergeants great you know, lieutenants and captains. I really didn't have anyone that I didn't get along with or didn't like. But there are those and you show up there and if you've got a sergeant that treats you like crap and you're working with a crappy officer, who wants to stay? Mm -hmm. And so I think they've got to start figuring out how to promote people that are going to treat others properly, Mm -hmm. get the, Mm -hmm. get the retirement fixed and then listen to the officers. I mean, that's why you're part of FOP and part of these organizations, you know, these, these things, because you want your voice heard and they don't want to listen. You're just a number. And they got to do away with you just being just a number because, you know, I, I felt like when I was leaving that it would be a huge blow and it was, but it was more, they just, I'm just a number of those replace me. It's no big deal. And we've got to do away with that and make it more about the person and, and that we care about them and want them there.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I can think of specific circumstances through the years where I was talked to like I was a total piece of shit. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I was an officer, I was the FNG. Do you know what FNG is? I do. Yes. (laughs) You're the fucking new guy. Yep. I've heard stories with sergeants with their feet kicked up on the desk and you're the new person there and like, Hey, FNG, make me some coffee. And you're standing there like, what is the FNG? You're the fucking new guy. So you're the bitch. Make me coffee. And when you treat people like that, what do you think is going to happen, especially with this younger generation? They're going to say, I'm not doing this bullshit. Goodbye. Well, and they get
0: their feelings hurt so bad, so quick nowadays.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That You can't do that. And I know guys in my academy class that didn't end up with a good sergeant like I did, and they didn't make it very long in the prison. I got lucky. You know, I remember my first day on my block that my FTO, my sergeant, I walked in and I said hey just here to start and he says well put your bag down and i'm like oh gosh this sounds to start he says so that chair at the end of the tier it was the first tier and he's like go down and get that and bring it back i was like uh <laughs> and i went down and got it he says okay you made it good work and then from there on we were like best friends
1: wow good
0: <laughs> and, you know they're so all out and i was like oh crap
1: <laughs> i think it's 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 fantastic that you bring up the points that you did on how new people are treated and their perception of what this job is when they first start because it really can make or break an individual when i first graduated the corrections academy so many people said this fucking guy's never gonna last he'll do a year or two <laughs> year and yeah. lieutenant whitney told me not too long he goes you have the perfect mentality to work in that job. Like you were made to work in a prison. And I don't know if it's just because I'm queer and I get to see buttholes every day of men. I don't know if that play, I don't know where he was going with it, but you know, whatever it is, I guess I hate the expression. It is what it is, but I yeah. will say that Lieutenant Whitney had said, like, I was perfect for that job. I hope that there was more than just the physical aspect of searches right. and urine collection. I'd like to believe so, but I don't want my ego to get the best of me. <laughs> I mean, for me, I tell you, Wes, and I, and I hope you saw this is my whole 20 years. I use my humor every chance I could do it to survive. There was times, and I'll be the first to say, that I was in a situation, whether it would be in a section or face-to-face with an inmate, and I used my humor. And I got to tell you, I was fucking scared shitless. Oh, I'm sure. That guy... Could have fucking owned me i mean you've seen it those guys come into prison and they're all sucked up because they've been doing heroin for you know six months but then once they start eating all that tuna and all they do is you know do push-ups and sit-ups and curls and water bags they get absolutely huge and now you're in the section with them and um i don't compare in size i'm six foot five but i can't (laughs) compare with you know 15 guys that are massive and so i use my humor with them and I treat them like human beings. I treat them with dignity and respect. And I did yeah. 20 years. And I think I gotten three physical altercations in 20 years because of humor.
0: So. Well, and I, you and the one other sergeant I had in corridor were or similar in that aspect. And mm-hmm. I was, I'm not as quick on my toes at getting something, you know, kind of funny out, kind of smart ass out of my mouth. Like it just doesn't happen as quick. But mm-hmm. you two were really good at that, and I learned a lot. From that. And I actually used that out on the road quite often, you know, and it, it helped me. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, going going to the road, you end up in a few more altercations than I ever did in the prison. You know, I never had any that someone was attacking me. My, I just did three years there. But <laughs> you go back to Officer Joe's podcast, when he talked about the inmate that was always banging his head. Uh-huh. and huh And he was, he was able to talk him down most of the time. Well, the night that we ended up having to force sell him, I was on the stick. I remember he had blood on him from his forehead, you know, from the cut, banging his head. And I remember, I, I believe it was Officer Joe sprayed him with OC. And instead of us letting the OC settle, we were uh, bright enough to just go straight in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I remember we hit him,
0: and I can't remember who was on the shield, but they hit him and that, the OC hit him so bad he belled. He got out of the cell. And I was number two in line, and I grabbed the guy's arm, and it was a female officer behind me. I don't recall who it was, but she tried to grab her arm and the OC was so strong, she belled. And so then I got one guy on the feet and me on the arms and the guys turned and hit punching me and, <laughs> and he was just hitting me in the side in my vest. You know, it was no big deal, but okay. you know, that was really the only major altercation I can think of. Like, I was on plenty of force cells, but they really didn't, you know, you know, as well as I did, they didn't really fight. I mean, they might yeah. have tussled a bit, but they weren't punching or kicking or hitting. they didn't want more
1: charges well and they wanted to save and, face with the other inmates right say, oh i thought right. i bought them you know, there was there was
0: five yeah. of them yeah they would just push and kind of shove and you yeah know, whatever but yeah. they really yeah. didn't fight so that was the only time at the prison that i ever was i felt like
1: assaulted you know that's well, that's, so, that's a good thing that it was only but that.
0: but i remember i mean joe didn't go clear into officer joe didn't go clear into details on that but i remember that night <laughs> <laughs> You're like, i was there for that i remember that shit <laughs> the other story he told was the guy that had the big, and I can't remember, it was some cyst or something on his hip that he was talking about that stunk, and was nasty, and they'd send him up to the U to get surgery later on or, or take care of, but the doctor yeah. there in the infirmary yep. cut it open and drained it. I remember walking in when they were doing that. I remember the smell
1: Ooh. and the
0: stench in that place. I remember that guy.
1: <laughs> Decomposition has got a very unique smell yes <laughs> and i i i couldn't handle i mean but i couldn't handle the visual with the whole ear uh irrigation that they yeah, did it was pretty
0: nasty oh i don't remember yeah. why i walked up there that night i don't know if i just wanted to talk to him or i was going up to do something but i remember going in and regretting it
1: you probably didn't eat, eat anything that night
0: <sighs> no and i oh. mean i've seen worse now that you know being out of the prison i saw way worse things but uh sure sure but yeah that was that was pretty nasty the smell the smell will never go away you'll always remember it
1: Yeah, that's terrible. Well, and I didn't know this. I, you know, I talked to somebody that I know that worked for the medical examiner down here in Florida, and he told me the story of having to extract a body that was in a trailer, and I think it had no air conditioning in the trailer. It's like July in Florida, and this body was extremely bloated, Yes, and they're carrying this body out in, like, on a stretcher or in a something- And the floor gave way, and he, his feet went through the floor, and that was enough commotion that the body popped, it exploded, decomposition squirted into his mouth.
0: Oh, I believe it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I believe that. Talk about leaving a bad (laughs) taste in your mouth. Jesus, some pretty nasty ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's ugly. It's ugly. Well, Wes, did you enjoy coming on the podcast?
0: Absolutely,
1: I did. It was fun. Did you? Okay, you had a fun good to time? to reminisce. Are you going to come back on another episode? Yeah, I would love to. Okay. Well, I'll think of some other Let's future topics, and we're going to have to have you come back on because I really enjoyed today's podcast.
0: Yeah, let me know, and I'll come up with some more
1: good stories. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> awesome. In the meantime, okay. I'm going to tell all the listeners the same thing that I tell them every week, and that is to be good, and if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're not good at it.